When we think the external is all that matters, it always destroys a heart of gratitude. Why? Because gratitude by its very nature is something that begins inside. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part two of Cultivating a Thankful Heart for these Thanksgiving holidays. We're looking at Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15, and what this ancient yet incredibly relevant and poignant work of poetry has to say about thankfulness. Today, Tom will present some practical ways for you to pursue a heart posture of thankfulness. You'll learn how to cultivate a heart of thankfulness in your own life through prayer and praise, as well as how to recognize that all that God is doing in your life is ultimately for His glory and your good. Prepare your heart as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. God is not invading our rights when he claims anything that we possess. And God is not invading our rights, and this is more difficult, when he decides to take any of those things that are valuable to us. Now, not many of us own bulls or goats. I won't ask for a show of hands. But is this how you think about all those things that God has allowed you to steward? that you call your own. Let me just give you some categories. When you think about your time and how you use it, do you really, truly think that's God's? It's God's time. Or what about your gifts and abilities, your job, your career? When you think of your possessions, your car, your house, your money, your iPhone, your investments. When you think about your health, your family, your spouse, your children, or even your life itself, ask yourself this question. Do you really understand and believe that God looks at everything you have in all of those categories and and the ones I haven't mentioned, and God rightly says, mine? It's mine. If that's not how you think, then God says, I don't want your worship. I don't want it. In verse 9, he says, I don't want your sacrifices as long as you think they're coming out of your house and your flocks and your foals. In other words, he's saying, as long as you think you are giving me what is yours, I don't want it. I will only accept it if you understand that you are simply giving back to me what is mine and what I have allowed you to be a steward of for a time. And let me say it the other way. If you think that anything in your life truly belongs to you, I can guarantee you, you will never be thankful for that thing. You will never have a thankful heart for that. Instead, you need to foster, we all need to foster the spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul says, what do you have? This, here's a great question for Thanksgiving, okay? What do you have that you did not receive? 
You came into this world as I did with absolutely nothing. What do you have that you didn't receive? Or James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Let me tell you how you've contributed and I've contributed to our lives. Sin, trouble, heartache, every good gift, every good thing you enjoy in life came to you from God. You had no responsibility for it whatsoever. There's a third pattern of sinful thinking about God that erodes our thanksgiving. It's in verse 11. God is really not good, not generous, and not loving. Notice verse 11. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. Now, at first glance, it appears that verse 11 is really just saying the same thing as verse 10, but in a different way. But that's not true, and and it becomes very clear when you take this verse apart in the original language. The primary point of verse 11 is not God's universal ownership of all things, like verse 10 was. Instead, it's His universal concern and care of all things. Let's look at it. First line in verse 11, I know every bird of the mountains. The Hebrew word for know there is a word that that implies thorough, comprehensive knowledge, but more than that, an intimate knowledge, a kind of relational knowledge. And God says, I have an intimate knowledge of, and this is staggering, every bird of the mountains. Some of you, like Sheila and I, love the mountains. Just think about that for a moment. I know every bird of the mountains. And then he adds, verse 11, everything that moves in the field is mine. And here's, here's where we can be led astray a little bit in our translation. Because literally, the second line of verse 11 reads like this from the Hebrew text. Everything that moves in the field is with me. Everything that moves in the field is with me. They're never out of my presence. Now, those are astonishing statements. God intimately knows in the sense that he cares for every single bird on this planet, and God knows and cares for and provides for all his creatures. They are with him. They are in his presence. And through the secondary means that he's established, he personally cares for them. Look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 15. The eyes of all look to you, God, And you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. It pictures God like one of us at a a petting zoo. You open your hand and you feed everything. Our Lord made the same point. Go over to Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He uses the illustration of birds as he helps us deal with the issue of worry and anxiety. Matthew 6, verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. Consider the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet, Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Go over to chapter 10 of Matthew, chapter 10 and verse 29. 
Again, he comes back to this illustration. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? That's the smallest copper coin in existence at the time. Two sparrows for a penny, if you will. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God is intimately involved in the flight path of every sparrow. That's how intimate his care is. Now, go back to Psalm 50. Why does God make this point about himself? It's because the rest of this passage implies that the people thought about God exactly the opposite. Their thinking about God was kind of like this. You know, God makes a lot of demands on us, and he's really not concerned about us. He just wants us to measure up to the standard. They were tempted to think that God is really not good, he's not generous, he's not loving. And you know what? That is always Satan's lie. It has been since the garden. Maybe you're here this morning and you've somehow convinced yourself because of your circumstances in life that God is not good, he's not concerned, he doesn't care, he's not loving, he's not generous. Understand you're believing the lie. It was the lie Satan sold Eve in the garden. Is it true, Eve, that God said you can't eat of any of the trees in this garden? You see what he's doing? He knew. He was magnifying the prohibition. He was, he was making the prohibition look huge when in reality God had said you can eat from every tree except one. And then he goes on to say, oh, you're not going to die. Listen, God knows. He knows in the day you eat of this, you're going to be like God. God's holding out on you. God is not good. He's not generous. He's keeping something from you that's good. That's why Jesus said in John 8, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. What does Satan lie about? Well, he lies about everything. He lies about himself. He lies about sin. He lies about reality. He lies to you about you, but he especially lies to everyone about God. And at the root of his lies are, one, God isn't just. You're not going to die, Eve. God's not going to deal with your sin. And his other lie is, God's not good. He's holding out on you. This is the temptation that comes in fact, James 1, 16 and 17, talking about temptation, says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. How does temptation deceive us? Listen to this, the very next verse. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Here's how temptation, how Satan lies to you through temptation. He says there is good outside of God. It's an attack on the character of God himself. And so here in Psalm 50, God says, listen, no, I know and I care for every creature that I've made. But don't miss the point. God's point in Psalm 50 is not a lesson about God's care for the animals. It's a lesson about us. God is just as generous in his care and his provision for us. And God's generosity is completely undeserved. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I told my wife, I was sitting in my car at a stoplight somewhere here in the area, and I had an epiphany. Now, when I say that, my kids often, you know, want to know if I took something for it. But an epiphany is like this, this revelation. You, you, you come to understand something you didn't before. 
And I was sitting there, and it's not that I didn't know this theologically or biblically, I did, but it just struck me in a way it hadn't before. I was sitting there at that stoplight, and it occurred to me, not one time in my life have I ever received anything I deserved, and neither have you. We haven't received the justice we deserved. God's withheld it. None of us have been treated like we really deserve. And every good thing we've received, we didn't deserve those either. Not one. God is good and generous and gracious and kind. And yet Satan and our own flesh always wants to lie about the nature of God. There's a fourth pattern of sinful thinking that destroys gratitude. Verses 12 and 13, God needs me and my worship. God needs me and my worship. Look at verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Now, lying behind that statement is the implication that God's people thought God needed their sacrifices. That somehow, like the pagans, if they didn't feed God, he was going to suffer from malnutrition. He needed his three meals a day, and that's what the sacrifices provided. To that mistaken, tragically mistaken idea, God says, listen, if I ever needed anything, and I don't, I would never ask you to supply it. I made and own everything that exists. So if I were to ever have a need, and I don't, I could fully and completely supply it from what is mine. Verse 13, shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Really? You think I'm like that? God says, don't you dare think of me like the pagans think of their gods. One commentator writes this, God does not need our worship, but we need to worship God. God would still be God if we offered him nothing, but we would not be truly human if we did not make an offering to God. Sacrifice should have been food for thought, not food for God. Here's the bottom line. God never takes anything from us in order to meet his needs. Instead, exactly the opposite is true. He cares for us, and he richly supplies all of our needs just as he does all of the animals on this planet. Let this be a bedrock principle of your understanding of God. He needs nothing from you. Instead, you need everything from him, and he generously and graciously and lavishly has given you good thing after good thing. This is the message of Acts fourteen seventeen. Paul says, God didn't leave himself without a witness in the world, even where there wasn't his word. Here's how he did it. And this is really what we celebrate this week in Thanksgiving. In that God did good, and he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, I love this, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You know, whatever joyful, good times you experience this week that aren't sinful, those good things are from God himself. They're from God himself. In Acts 17, Paul says, listen, God doesn't need anything. Don't think that you're giving something to God, but in him we, move, we live and move and have our being. 1 Timothy 6.17, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, look at that list of sinful thoughts. Those sinful patterns of thinking 
extinguish every flicker of thanksgiving from the soul. So we've seen the sinful thinking that destroys thanksgiving, but, but God doesn't stop with the diagnosis. He also provides a treatment plan. Notice he explains the simple changes that restore gratitude. The simple changes that restore gratitude to the hearts of those who are his. We find this in verses 14 and 15. There are three of them. Let's look at them briefly. Number one, change your routine patterns of thinking. Change your routine patterns of thinking. In other words, we've just seen the sinful ways to think about God. We have to train ourselves to think exactly the opposite of the sinful thinking in verses 9 to 13. We must understand and preach to ourselves these truths about God. Number one, God is only pleased when my worship and obedience are wholehearted. Number two, God owns all things, and he has given me all that I have, and he only demands from me what is already really his. Number three, God is truly good and generous and loving, richly supplying me with all things and graciously receiving me in Christ. And number four, God is not dependent on me in any way, but I am totally dependent on him for everything. You need to change your, your pattern of thinking if you're going to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving because those, other, those sinful thoughts will, de- will destroy and extinguish thanksgiving. These will develop and build them. There's a second simple change that will restore gratitude. You must cultivate a real heart of thanksgiving. Cultivate a real heart of thanksgiving. Notice verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Now, the context here makes it clear that Asaph is not talking about offering an animal sacrifice of a thank offering. That was one of the sacrifices you could make in the Old Testament. It's clear because because he's talked about they, they were already doing that. He's talking about something different here. He's saying in verse 14 that thanksgiving itself is the spiritual sacrifice we are to make to God. And by such an offering of thanksgiving, we are, notice what he says, and pay your vows to the Most High. You see, some of the thank offerings were made to fulfill a promise that was made when asking God to do something. So this is really one and the same idea. He's saying the real offering that God requires of us and without which all other worship is vain and worthless is a sincere, thankful heart where you offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving or you fulfill the vow of thanksgiving for all God has done for you because thanksgiving is the essence of true worship. The Old Testament sacrifices were meaningless without a heart of thanksgiving, either for God's forgiveness if you were offering the sacrifice for God's forgiveness, or with thanksgiving for the way God had enriched your life and blessed you and and become your God. So if you want to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving, you have simply got to begin the practice of in your heart making a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. The way the New Testament puts it very directly is give thanks to God. This isn't brain surgery. This week, take time to give thanks to God, to offer him the sacrifice which is your thanksgiving. 
A third simple change that we need to make in order to restore thanksgiving to our souls is in verse 15, develop a constant spirit of dependence. Notice verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. You know what God is saying? He's saying, remember that I'm not dependent on you, but you are dependent on me. So when you get into trouble, express that dependence by asking me to help. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And God says, I will rescue you. I will come to your rescue. It may be in this life that God will come and rescue you from that circumstance, or it may be that he will rescue you by eventually taking you into his eternal presence but he will come to your rescue. Notice, call upon me, that's prayer. You see, prayer is primarily how we express our dependence on God. It's put that way in Psalm 62, verse 8. It says, trust in him at all times. Depend on him at all times. How? Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Or in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, submit to God. How? Submit yourselves under God's mighty hand. How? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, the measure of your dependence on God or your independence from God is the measure of your prayer. Prayer reflects our dependence. Now, why, why does he throw dependence or trust into this paragraph that's dealing with thanksgiving? It's because they're not really separate. They're really opposite sides of the same coin. Think about it this way. When you realize that God alone has already provided for a need that you have, you will be thankful to God. When you realize that God alone can provide the need you still still have, then you will be dependent on God. So really, that's one and the same. Dependence comes before God meets the need, thanksgiving comes after God meets the need. But it's the same spirit. It's everything comes from God. That's why we're to call upon him in the day of trouble and wait for him to act. So those are the, those are the simple changes. When we change our routine patterns of thinking, when we work at developing a real heart of thanksgiving by simply giving thanks, when we develop a constant spirit of dependence on God for the needs that have not yet been met, Then notice verse 23, because it tells us what the results will be. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. It glorifies God when you thank him for all that he's done, when you realize that everything you have comes from him and you thank him. And to him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. God says, I'm going to continue to, to intervene in that person's life, both temporally saving them from the troubles of this life as I choose in my providence, but eternally saving them from the consequences of their sin. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed, and that concludes our current series, Cultivating a Thankful Heart. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you mind sharing a closing thought with us? I think we've learned so much from these verses in thinking about Thanksgiving. And it's my prayer that we won't just cultivate it in this season, but rather we will cultivate Thanksgiving as the essence of true worship year-round. 
as we acknowledge that we are dependent on God for all things, not only the temporal things of this life, which are so rich and wonderful, but the amazing spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And I think we do that when we really cultivate that heart of dependence that that we were talking about together. I, I think we have to come to the place where we realize that we are dependent on God for everything. And when we do, we will both pray for our needs to be met and we will thank him when those needs are met because we will realize that is ultimately an expression from his hand. May God give us such thankful hearts of worship. Thanks, Tom. And friend, we want to let you know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleash.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.